Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. So in today's episode, we're going to be rounding out the month of April, which, yes, is still Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So we are going to be discussing rape culture. Before we start to talk about what makes up a rape culture, uh, we will start by saying that we do absolutely live within one. And so that's why it's really important that we talk about this today. This might be a topic that some of you, you know, hear the term rape culture um, and think, what does that even mean? So there's a lot of elements that go into rape culture. So we're really going to discuss what it means and really what we can do as a community to challenge it. Absolutely. I think this is such an important conversation to have. With that being said, just wanted to make you aware that some of this information may be triggering. If it is, please make sure that you take care of yourself and practice some self-care. So we are going to break down rape culture by giving you some examples, which can act as a definition or how we define what rape culture means. So let's get started. Some examples of rape culture is blaming the victim, also known as victim blaming, right? And so we just discussed this in our last episode. Um, so yeah. definitely make sure to check that out. But, you know, comments that you may hear is, you know, she asked for it or they asked for it. Um, I feel like women especially are made to feel as though it is their responsibility to avoid being sexually mm-hmm. assaulted because of the scrutiny of victim blaming. So I feel like when it comes to victim blaming, you know, it really makes an impact on how survivors or victims of sexual assault feel, right? And so it's so important that we kind of step away from that. And again, kind of shift that blame to the person that has, you know, um, committed that crime. And then, you know, another example of rape culture is trivializing sexual assault. And so, you know, comments like boys will be boys or, you know, how it is or normalizing and minimizing sexual assault. Right. I think that's also something important to really have in mind and know that it really causes harm when it comes to sexual assault. Right. And we know this is a big problem that we have in our culture and then um, in our society. And so it's so important to be mindful of that and just be mindful that this is the reason why we have this rape culture. Absolutely. And I think that boys will be boys statement. There's it's such a it could be such a damaging statement, I think, for that specific reason, right, of really sometimes protecting maybe really damaging behaviors, right, or really maybe damaging attitudes. Um, And so, yeah, just saying that, you know, sexual assault is just something men do and boys will be boys is not only so insulting towards men, right, because we know there's so many good men that would never do something like that. But it's also creating a space where, yeah, back to this is, again, what we're defining as rape culture, right? But if we have that idea, it's kind of saying that our culture is very kind of okay with, right? Or we'll, we'll really easily brush off this behavior um, for the sake of, ah, it's just something boys do, right? Which yeah, all of that um, is damaging, not only for the survivors, but again, that's a really insulting connotation to put on all men. And so some other examples uh, of what really makes up a rape culture or kind of what goes into making up a rape culture, uh, sexually explicit jokes, right? Or um, what could be called as rape jokes. I know I have been in circumstances um, of hearing extremely inappropriate jokes and it's 
even at the end of the day, if someone tries to say it, it's certainly, you know, in no way intended, we have to not challenge this in a way where we're like aggressive with someone, absolutely not, but absolutely step up to the plate and ask them to maybe reframe the way they joke, even if it's around you, reframe the way that they uh, joke because it's damaging to other people, right? And so it's really important because again, if we have victims and survivors or just other people that are really used to hearing really inappropriate jokes, really explicit jokes that could be damaging, it just gives this image and this impression that we kind of don't care, right? Or maybe that, you know, this is something that's just okay and we don't see it as being bad, even though it could be hurting others, which I think we're not always trying to have that intention, right? So it's super important to keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. Also, just a, uh, a general tolerance of sexual harassment, right? Maybe some attitudes or beliefs or, well, that's pretty normal. Or, you know what, when guys do that, that happened to me all the time. So that's not a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we all may have different interpretations or feelings about things that happen to us, but it's really important. If someone says, you know, they've been harassed, it's in no way our place to ever minimalize that, right? And so maybe having that kind of a tolerance or minimizing that again is only going to show the rest kind of of society and culture that that's how we treat that issue. And that's really not the way we want to go about treating that. And then another example would be um, inflating false rape report statistics. So this is actually a really interesting one. Uh, this is a personal little side, side story here, but it wasn't very long ago. I think it was last year. There was legislation um, specifically, I know in Alabama that was going on about anti-abortion laws. And I just remember at this time a year ago, there were so many conversations I saw online uh, between people that I knew surrounding this anti-abortion law. And I remember a really big argument that came out of, you know, the reason being for or against. A lot of people were saying, well, people should have the right to. What if someone is raped and gets pregnant? This interesting thing that happened was I saw another side of the argument. People coming up to say, well, lie about being raped. So, you know, people getting pregnant from being raped, a lot of that is a falsely reported. And so things like that, right, it's just super interesting to see that. But it really showed me that this is a really common idea that a lot of people have, right? That they kind of don't believe that this does happen as often as it does. Um, and so, yeah, that was just a really interesting kind of personal one for me. Absolutely. I mean, and we've seen studies, right? And data that show um, that it is very uncommon for someone to make false rape or sexual assault accusations. So, yeah. you know, we've actually seen, you know, that data, um, it's not something that happens often. It's actually considered very rare and uncommon. So thank you, Lisa. And then yeah. uh, a few more examples for you. Also, um, publicly scrutinizing a victim's um, clothing, mental state, motives, and history is something that is seen. Um, I think not just when someone discloses, but also, you know, through the court process, which is why there are a lot of victims that, you know, are scared to report to the police because they know that they will be scrutinized, right? And right. so what we've seen, um, we've seen victims and survivors that are questioned on what clothing they were wearing and, you know, how many sexual partners they've had in the past or their sexual history is being questioned. Um, like if that caused the sexual assault, right? Because they know that it's not any piece of clothing. It's not, you know, um, 
you know, their behavior or if they were dressed a certain way um, or their sexual history that caused this, right? We know that someone specifically caused this, um, the abuser, right? Um, but definitely this is something that we do see very often, the scrutiny, and it's just not okay. Also, another example is unnecessary gendered violence in movies and TV. Um, and I just want to say even in music, right, and lyrics. Like if you mm -hmm. listen closely to some lyrics, you know, um, you'll see, you know, unnecessary violence against, you know, women in there or it's just being normalized or minimized right or the way that they are speaking of women right the name calling the slut shaming a lot of mm -hmm. that happens and so this is something that we have youth um, not only growing up to and seeing in movies and tv and in their favorite shows but also adults right and so this does make an impact in the way that we view you know, um, the world and obviously sexual assault. Um, and again, it just really helps normalize sexual assault, which really helps that rape culture, right? Um, it just really helps rape culture become a norm in our society. And then also, you know, another example is defining manhood as dominant and sexually aggressive. And oh my God, I, I just want to highlight that, you know, in especially in the Hispanic culture, right? This is something that is seen um, as a norm, you know, and is very um, visible. And also that I grew up with, right? This is literally a belief that till this day, my dad has, right? Um, he will make comments like, you know, make sure that, you know, um, his grandchild, my son is, you know, being a a boy or being a man or that I want to make sure that, you know, I only allow him to do boy things, right. Or only give him boy colors and things like that and making it seem like they do need to be dominant in some way or aggressive. Right. And that's right. just not okay. Right. Cause we're, again, we're kind of having them fall into this rape culture, right. We're kind of defining that, you know, being a boy or being a man means that you need to be dominant and that you need to be sexually aggressive. And that's not the case. That's not what being a man is. Right. And again, there's no specific, you know, stereotype or just box that they have to fall into. Right. Um, everyone is allowed and should be empowered to be their own, to be who they are. Um, but I think it's so important to know that, you know, just being a real man or real woman, you know, does not mean that you need to fall into any specific category that has been created by society, especially for men to feel like they need to be dominant and sexually aggressive to really be a man. It's just not okay, right? Again, and this is something that we discuss with youth at a very young age, because we know that this is sometimes something that they are being groomed to be like, or feel like they are expected to be really tough and to be really aggressive and to portray, you know, being really strong um, when maybe they're going through something difficult and they would love to talk about it, but they are too afraid to feel weak, right? Or to not mm -hmm. look strong. And so I think this is something that we really need to work on. Um, definitely an attitude and belief that is just not okay, right? And again, that really adds to the rape culture. Absolutely. And I think it's so interesting because maybe some listeners are kind of like, okay, we're talking about rape culture, but now we're talking about gender. And now we're talking about, you know, kind of like raising kids and how does that play a part of it? I mean, 
everything. It's kind of interesting because all of our previous episodes, really kind of everything we've been speaking about, it all plays a part. And that's why I think some of these examples can seem a little bit broad, right? And we're not saying that maybe giving um, a child like, you know, I'll use air quotes for all listeners, masculine colored toys, right, is going to make them um, like sexually aggressive when they get older indefinitely. Mm -hmm. But it's really interesting, right? Because if we're thinking about the way that we have gender expectations laid out for young men and young women in our culture, right, we're kind of setting them up on a fast track for behaviors later on that speak to who they're supposed to be as men and women, right? So yeah, for young men, right, if they are given those, you know, dominant toys and being kind of reared in that way, you have to be dominant, you have to be kind of aggressive and all those different things. Well, if they're caught up in that, they're going to be caught up in the gender roles down the line, right, when they're growing into adult adulthood. And we know those gender roles into adulthood are absolutely going to speak to that, right? Like what makes a man, what makes a man is a tough, usually straight guy that, you know, gets the girls, right? And is able to talk about that. It's almost a part of status, right? And so, yeah, it's so interesting thinking about how all these things really do correlate and make a rape culture. And so not only just that stereotype and that pressure for men, but for women as well, right? It's really important that we also think about, you know, maybe the the media messaging that young women are getting. So this is our next example, right? The media messaging of sometimes how women are defined as, you know, or supposed to be submissive, right? And sometimes sexually passive, but we're also um, really taught that we have to focus on our looks. And in media, we're over-sexualized and represented usually in ways that's about our body and getting value, right, from how we look and what we look like. And so thinking about that, right, thinking about that kind of maybe implication, right, for females to think that my image is all that's important, but also more importantly, the image that that sends to young men, right, that women are almost here as a form of something for us to kind of appreciate, right, like objects for us to look at. So there's a lot of damaging and really insidious kind of messaging that goes along with that, right, that really does help perpetuate this rape culture that we live in. And so even to break down, um, you know, both men and women stereotypes a little bit more for these next two examples. So kind of that pressure on men to quote unquote score, right? Or have, you know, women in their lives, right? Kind of tales to tell their bros about, about this hot girl that I hooked up with or how many women I've been with, right? We know that that kind of pressure, uh, especially, you know, we work with teenagers, right? We've spoken in a lot of high school classrooms and we understand that this pressure really does exist right and it comes kind of from everywhere JC spoke about the music right and the messaging and I know so many songs that I hear on the radio no matter what genre they're in are usually about like what I'm looking like as a woman to kind of like get this certain kind of man or kind of all the girls that I'm you know interested in and really about how I speak to women how I view women and so there's a lot of pressure for that right and for women there's also a pressure to maybe not appear frigid, right? Or cold um, to maybe show a little bit more skin, even though I'll say we're always dancing this fine line, right? If we show too much, we're kind of like that, that statement JC made before we're slut shamed, right? If we show too much, but too little, maybe we can get kind of um, looked at for that, right? Or judged for that. And so, yeah, all these different pressures, it's really interesting because it, it does, it comes back to kind of sexuality, but it comes back to women being passive and men being dominant and women being objects. And so that's the really big correlation that we're pulling out here, tapping into those, um, those gender expectations. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's such a great, important 
um, point, Lisa, because we definitely know that women are objectified and sexualized so often, right? And I just feel like obviously that's not the cause of sexual assault, but it does play a role. And like Lisa mm-hmm. mentioned, a lot of what we're discussing is just intertwined, right? Um, mm-hmm. It just like overlaps. And so sometimes it may seem repetitive, but it's just because it all correlates to the topic that we are discussing. Um, and so Absolutely. another example of, you know, rape culture is when someone is assuming that only promiscuous women get raped because, mm-hmm. you know, this attitude and belief, you know, has caused some women to avoid wearing certain clothing or drinking alcohol or walking home, you know, alone at night because one, they either believe it or two, you know, they are just too afraid that, you know, they're going to be judged if something does happen or if they dress a certain way or, you know, they're just afraid that somebody may take it that way as well. Like, well, because I'm dressed wearing like this, you know, wearing this skirt or wearing this dress, you know, it may invite someone to think that they can get further with me than, you know, what I feel comfortable with. Um, and it's just not okay, right? Um, any yeah. piece of clothing is not an invitation for someone to feel like they can sexually assault you or not get consent from you, right? Um, drinking alcohol as well is not a reason to sexually assault someone, is not the cause of it either. Um, and, you know, I think everyone should absolutely be able to feel you know, comfortable walking home alone. Um, I don't think it's okay for women to ever have that fear. And I have had that fear. Um, and yes. you know, I have not been in this situation um, lately or recently where I've had to walk home alone at night. Um, so I don't know how I would actually feel as of right now. I think I would feel okay just because of the community that I live in, right? And um, and, and where my the location of my home is. But I can't imagine, you know, feeling this way every day or walking home from college. And I know, you know, family members who are attending college and don't feel this way, right? They feel scared to walk home alone or, yeah. you know, would never dare to do that after they've gone, you know, to have a few drinks at the bar or to hang out with some friends, right? And so this is absolutely not okay for women to feel unsafe and to feel, like, you know, um, they cannot walk home alone or, you know, they can't wear something, a piece of clothing specifically and walk home alone because of it. Like if that may, you know, open up that invitation for someone. Um, so again, you know, we want to make sure that we're kind of stepping away from this and knowing that a piece of clothing or, you know, someone drinking alcohol is never an invitation or a, the cause of someone being sexually assaulted. Um, Absolutely. you know, And I just want to highlight that sexual assault does not discriminate, right? We've mentioned this many times. Um, You know, this can happen to anyone, um, any gender, right? But we do know that women experience sexual assault at a higher risk. There's times where you'll see me say she or, you know, women experiencing certain experiences because of it. Another, you know, example of, you know, what adds to the rape culture is assuming that men don't get raped that only weak men get raped. And so again, Mm -hmm. like I just mentioned, sexual assault does not discriminate. It can happen to anyone. It's not based or caused on the level of someone's strength, right? It has nothing to do with that, right? We know that it has everything to do with power and control. And sometimes, you know, the opportunity that somebody may take advantage of, but it has nothing to do with, you know, someone's strength or, you know, if they look strong enough, it has nothing to do with that, right? So it can happen to anyone. And if 
a man did experience, you know, sexual assault, it was not because they were weak or they looked weak or they just seemed vulnerable, right? And so I think it's so important to highlight that as well, because again, it does not discriminate. And then refusing yeah. to take rape accusations seriously is something that I just want to say, you know, it really upsets me to just see or ever witness this, right? I yeah. think, you know, this also, again, adds to the rape culture, right? When you're minimizing, um, you know, sexual assault and sexual violence, you're adding to, you know, the rape culture and really normalizing the rape culture, right? And so I just want to say that, you know, anyone who has experienced sexual assault, it is so important for them to feel like, whoever they're disclosing or just whoever is even hearing, um, you know, their disclosure of what has happened to them and their experience that we all take this seriously, right? Because this is such an invasion on a whole different level, right? Not only that, but it's something that could be very traumatic. And then to see someone not take it seriously, it can also be very triggering. So not only does this person feel, you know, invaded and then, you know, experience something so traumatic um, and, you know, not only were, were their boundaries and safety, you know, crossed, but now they are having to deal with backlash or scrutiny or, you know, someone either, you know, refusing to take it seriously or, you know, blaming them. So again, let's just be very mindful in the way that we respond um, because it is very difficult to be in a situation like that. And Absolutely. then, yeah. And I think also, you know, teaching women to avoid getting raped, that type of attitude and belief, again, just really adds to the rape culture. So, you know, there's no such thing as teaching women to avoid getting raped. Okay. We need to teach men and anyone, because again, we know that, you know, it does not discriminate against anyone. And also, you know, the abusers can be anyone as well. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's so important to teach you know, every individual that violence like this should not be perpetrated, right? And so really, instead of avoiding, uh, teaching women to avoid getting raped, you should really teach, you know, and, and all individuals that raping someone is not okay, that sexual assault is not okay, right? Um, yeah. We don't want to put that, you know, responsibility on the victim survivor again, because like I mentioned, they're already experiencing so much. Lisa, is there anything that you would like to add to that? I just think I'm I'm so happy that you made a point to mention that because, and it's interesting too, I think for so long, that's been the primary way that we educate on sexual assault, right? Or, you know, trying to prevent sexual assault. It usually is never, it, at least in my time, right? I remember being in high school. I remember all of us 11th grade girls being brought into the gymnasium. We were given a lesson um, on how to say no and how to like front kick an attacker away, right? I remember at the time thinking, okay, well, you know, it's good to, I guess, feel empowered, but why are you just teaching us this? Why aren't you having a conversation with the boys, right? Like, why aren't you teaching them to not do this if that's supposedly what they do, right? And I just remember being in high school and noticing that, right? And thinking like, this is an interesting way for you to try to like keep mm -hmm. us safe. Again, and this is such an insulting way to think about it, right? If these supposed boys are gonna be maybe all of our possible attackers, then yeah, why aren't they just having, why aren't you having a conversation with them about not attacking someone, right? So it is, it's really interesting um, that that's, 
usually the go-to, right? It's mm-hmm. all this laundry list of things that women can do, right? Travel in packs, have your keys between your fingers, have your mace, don't go to parties, don't drink too much, don't dress a certain way. But the sad thing is we know that none of these things actually cause the crime. We know women who have been in groups of friends, who have not drank, who are wearing the most non-promiscuous outfits, we know that this happens regardless, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really, um, it's really interesting to think about that. And I just actually had a conversation, my youth leaders and I throughout the month have been having several conversations, you know, regarding victim blaming and rape culture. And so we just had a conversation about victim blaming. And we were talking about, um, you know, it'd be interesting. So say if there was a situation, we propose this, say if there's a situation where someone, you know, accidentally left their keys on top of their roof of their car, right? If someone comes along and decides to see this vulnerable situation of someone, you know, left their keys there, but decided to pick up the keys and open the car and then take that car, would you really blame that victim for leaving their keys? Or would you still just say this person should never have taken that car? It does Mm -hmm. not matter if the keys were there or not. You just don't steal a car, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting. We see again, just a different kind of level of victim blaming here and a different level of just the way that we think about a lot of this stuff when it comes to sexual violence. And so, yeah, again, that's why a lot of this stuff, it seems like we're kind of, you know, pulling a lot of different concepts together, but JC's right. This is all kind of all these small pieces are threads of this bigger fabric that is rape culture and every strand, whether it be the gender expectations, whether it be normalizing sexist jokes or the kinds of media we're exposed to. These are all just little threads that again, make up this whole fabric that rape culture is. And so, you know, there's more examples than that. I mean, that's just really kind of capturing what really goes into the way that we normalize or, you know, that rape exists within our culture, the ways that we respond to it. And so again, there could be more examples than that. Those are some of the most common, but what we also wanted to do now is kind of provide the flip side of this, right? We love doing that. We love leaving you with not only what to look out for, but what we can do, right? We like to be empowering here. So uh, here's some things that we can kind of do to combat rape culture and victim blaming in our society. So the first examples I'll give out, number one, avoid using language that objectifies or degrades women. And I think this is especially important too, because again, we know there's so many good men out there that are probably so frustrated all the time hearing, you know, the accusations or the ways that our culture, society, or people lump men together in this category, right? We know there's so many good men out there that don't support ideals like this, that would never um, do things like this or say things like this. So even asking those men out there, yeah, if you're in conversations or maybe you hear other men or even other women, but especially other men making, you know, objectifying comments or, you know, saying really inappropriate jokes, right? Let's say they're also, yeah, saying um, rape jokes, right? Or trivializing assaults and things like that. And just speaking really disrespectful towards women, having the opportunity to step up, right? And not call them out. I like to say, call them into a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. About why that is damaging, you know? And so really, again, stepping up to the plate, if we hear language or jokes like that. Absolutely. And here are some other things that you could also do to really combat that rape culture and victim blaming. You know, if a friend says that they have been raped, you know, it's really important to take your friend seriously and be supportive. 
I think it's something that, you know, can really make a big difference, right? When it comes to somebody disclosing or talking about their experience, right? The way that you react can really be a really critical moment for them to either, you know, continue to get help and seek that help or to not get help and keep it to themselves, right? And so I think it's super important that, you know, you respond in such a supportive way, in a way that it makes them feel like they were not at fault and, you know, they deserve to feel respected. Also, think critically about the media's messages about women, men, relationships, and violence. I always say, think about what Mm -hmm. you're supporting, right? Even what you're posting on social media, um, the people that you may consider, you know, your idols or the famous people that you follow, right? Um, Or, you know, the people that you choose as role models. It's so important to think about what is behind that, right? Some of the beliefs, that they have, some of the things that they normalize, right? Um, And so I just think it's super critical to just think about those things that you support, right? Whether, you know, they are supporting rape culture or if they support victims and survivors, right? Um, So it's just something to be mindful of. Also, be respectful of others' physical space, even in casual situations, right? And I always say this, you know, respect people's boundaries at all times, right? Whether it's that physical space or just any boundary that they have, but it's super, super important to have that in mind. And how do you know what people's boundaries are or physical boundaries are or their physical space? It's by having, you know, a conversation, but just simply sometimes asking or having a conversation around boundaries, right? Around consent. And it does not have to be awkward. It does not have to be weird. And I always say this, we make it weird because it's something that is not commonly spoken on Mm -hmm. um, or of, you know, which is why for us in prevention education, we try to do this at a very early age with children and youth, right? Because we want to make sure that this becomes a norm for them, right? We don't want rape culture to become a norm for them. We want, you know, the conversations on consent and boundaries to become a norm for them. So again, you know, it's really important to just be respectful of others' uh, physical space as well as their boundaries. Absolutely. And so some other big things we can do to challenge this going on within our culture is let survivors know it's not their fault. If you do have someone that discloses or, hey, we're all on social media, I think, you know, with the Me Too movement and the wake of the Me Too movement, we see a lot more people coming forward online. Um, So, yeah, if you're someone that chooses to participate in those discussions and again, if it's maybe someone you do know in real life just reiterating that, right? Nothing you did. Again, this person may choose to take the keys and get in the car, but that was their choice. And, you know, it wasn't you leaving the keys accidentally that made them do that. That was driven by them and them alone, right? So another big part of that is, yeah, just hold abusers accountable for their actions. If someone has committed an assault, right? Um, Not to go that route of boys will be boys, right? Which really quick, I saw a really funny meme online the other day. It was so introspective and I loved it. Someone, and it was a man that made this comment. I think it was like a Twitter post, Um, but he said, boys will be boys should only be used in situations like in fourth grade when you and your homies put miracle whip on the slide and called it the miracle whip and slide. It should <laughs> never be used to minimize harassment and rape. And I was like, wow, 
collapse to you. Yes. Right. And so, yeah, if we don't hold abusers accountable or if we're quick to say, well, you know, that's just what men do, which is such a bananas statement to me because no, not all men do this and that's not okay when they do, right? It's not excusable or something that they can't help know that, right? And then lastly, always communicate with sexual partners, don't assume consent. And so really going back to that conversation we had, right? And what JC just spoke about with boundaries, even in casual situations, it's so important to just respect other people's space, especially, you know, if this is a situation, you know, where it is maybe a straight um, couple or two straight individuals and male and female, it's so important to just respect those boundaries, that physical space, no matter what gender it is. We don't know what someone's been through. We don't know what they're comfortable with. And until we have that conversation, usually good to err on the side of caution, right? And just respect that space until we're comfortable to ask, right? And see, oh, okay, it is okay to give you that hug or it is okay to put my hand on your shoulder, right? So I think, yeah, I love before you spoke about too, just normalizing that because we really mm-hmm. don't, you know? And so, yeah, I think if people move forward after listening to this t- today and decide maybe I can set more boundaries or maybe I'll just ask more questions about others' boundaries, then we are over the moon. We've done a good job here today. So definitely yeah. um, that is a big, a big example. Absolutely. And I just want to quickly circle back to um, a point that Lisa just spoke about, Um, you know, letting survivors know that it is not their fault, right? I just want to say that, you know, with my experience working directly with, you know, victims and survivors of sexual assault and covering the crisis line, they're, you know, what I hear Um, commonly, you know, from some of those phone calls and working with them is that self-blame, right? Um, They will often blame themselves for the sexual assault, although we know they did nothing wrong, right? right? And they may not, you know, come forward clearly stating it's my fault, but they may make comments or statements, you know, stating like, I shouldn't have not done that. Or, you know, if I did not go out that night, this wouldn't have happened, or I shouldn't have walked home alone, right? And so um, comments like that, you know, where you know that they're clearly blaming themselves need to be challenged. So, you know, if you hear someone state a self-blame comment, challenge it, right? Let them know that it is not their fault. You know, that Mm -hmm. is not the cause of what has happened, right? And really kind of shifting that blame um, continuously on the person that committed the crime, right? And sexually assaulted them because it is so important for them to start believing that, right? And to really step away from blaming themselves and realize that the blame needs to fall on the other person, right? The person that invaded them, the person that assaulted them. And so again, it's so important to continuously, you know, challenge any type of self-blame comments um, because we want to make sure that that person knows that they, you know, they were not at fault. Um, so thank you, Lisa, for highlighting that. Uh, here are a few more examples for you. It's so important for you to be able to define your own manhood or womanhood, right? Um, and to not let stereotypes shape your actions. And so I always say this, just simply be you. Don't do things because you're feeling pressure to, 
don't mm-hmm. do things because you feel like you have to fall within a specific category or expectations, right? Um, because of your gender or how people view you. Like, be you. Do what makes you happy and what makes you feel safe, right? And what mm-hmm. makes you feel like you. You know, you, we want to make sure that you're comfortable in your own skin. And I always say this, it really falls back on self-love, right? Really loving yourself for who you are. Um, so with that yeah. being said, you know, do things because you want to, not because you feel like you have to because of this expectation of, you know, being a woman or being a man, um, you know, really remove those stereotypes, really remove those walls. And I know it's not as easy, right? Um, yeah. When you see, you know, society really normalize this, right? And really um, kind of categorize us in a way where, you know, men have to be um, a specific way, or if they show emotion, they're considered weak, right? And with women, we're supposed to be soft, and we're supposed to be beautiful. And especially with everything that happens now and all the social media and just expectations that people have for women and how they have to look in their appearance, right? Sometimes it can be really easy to fall into that category of us feeling like you have to, you know, um, we have to meet that expectation that we have to be beautiful, you know, Mm -hmm. and we have to, you know, look thin or look in shape to also be considered beautiful. So again, you know, really let go of those expectations and those stereotypes and simply be you. Those expectations are not going to make you who you are, right? They're going to make you into what society is expecting you to fall into. And so again, just be you. And then uh, be an active upstander. And I think this is something that's really important and critical. Um, I think, you know, many times, sometimes we see things happen, and it's really difficult for us to challenge them or we don't speak up right um, and maybe we wanted to speak up but for some reason we felt like we shouldn't have and again because mm-hmm. sometimes that type of behavior is not normalized and I refer to it as being an upstander um, because speaking up sometimes is not something that one is normalized or taken well at times unfortunately but it's super super important that you get involved and that you become part of the solution right and we need people like you to speak up and be upstanders Um, it can really help not only hold you know the person that is causing harm accountable for their actions but also it really helps not minimize certain situations that don't need to be minimized, right? That really need to be seen for what they are. And so again, you know, be an active upstander. If you see something, um, speak up, you know, it's so important. You don't know the difference that you can make in that person's life. And again, I know it's not always easy, um, but it's definitely worth it. Right. I mean, I just remember so many situations in my youth, right? Maybe being amongst peers and, maybe hearing things or seeing things happen that I just kind of wasn't okay with. And at the time it was, it was really challenging, right? So I understand, especially now, um, you know, the immense pressure there must be for young men, how hard that could be if maybe you're in a group of other young men and they do make those sexist comments. So they do start making those jokes and everyone else is laughing along, but I'm uncomfortable. That could be so hard to step up and challenge that. But it really goes back to, again, kind of what we talked about before, which is that normalization, right? If we see more people do it, people will follow. Mm -hmm. And I think 
it's interesting. We just live, we just live within such like a judgy culture. I think to begin with the social media and everyone has their own opinions and everyone's an expert on their own things. And, you know, we could share those opinions so easily. And so, you know, the more I think we see that people step up, they do what you just said, define their own manhood and womanhood. They stand for their own morals and values. They are people that get respect and they're people that could very assertively say like, Hey, you know, that's not really okay. Or I really mm-hmm. don't appreciate that you talk like that, you know, or that's, that's really hurtful. You should really, you know, just rethink how you, how you joke around if you want to just be funny, because that could be really hurtful, right? So we understand there's pressure and challenge there. But again, I think if enough people were brave enough to challenge this narrative, to challenge these typical ideals, these typical, you know, cultural responses, we'd have a lot more people comfortable to follow because I know there's a lot of people out there. I know there's so many girls that don't appreciate the conversations that happen when there is slut shaming of other girls or talking about, you know, uh, maybe their sexual history and rumors and what she looks like. I know there's other men that get upset when they hear those comments and they hear men speaking about women. I know there's so many that probably want to come to the table. They just don't feel like they can because they don't feel like right now there's space at the table where they're safe to come to it. Right. And so, yeah, we really encourage everyone today to really take that space at the table. Like JC said, really be an active upstander. Yeah. And I just want to say sometimes that could really create a great opportunity for the other person to gain some knowledge and education because it may be that they grew up seeing those things or having that perspective, right? Or that belief. And so that may be their norm, right? And they may not know mm-hmm. anything outside of that. And so sometimes when we do challenge, you know, certain comments or certain actions, it could really become a learning lesson for them, right? And a great education opportunity um, for them to get to know, you know, the different side or t- for them to really just shift their view. And so again, yeah, like it's definitely so important to challenge that and to know that it can really make a difference and just really quickly want to give an example because you know there are situations we do this type of work but there are situations where sometimes you know I'm like should I speak up should I not and I always tell myself just go for it because I will regret it later then I'll later on think about you know, that situation and just wonder why I did not speak up and just be really upset with myself for not speaking up. Right. Like I should have done Mm -hmm. that. And so there was a situation where there was like a family, you know, friend gathering and there was some family friends there that were making comments that to me were very insensitive in regards to domestic violence. And there was like victim blaming, like, oh, she probably did something that she shouldn't have done, you know? So he just probably put her in line. Right. And to me, I was like, it hurt my stomach to just hear that comment, right? And I thought to myself, like, everyone's having such a wonderful dinner. (laughs) Do I really want to address this right now, right? And I'm like, I could definitely do it privately. And that's usually my go-to. Like, let me just speak directly to this person. But because everyone was laughing about it, Uh, Well, not everyone, but, you know, some people that were near that person, I was like, Mm -hmm. no, I need to make this like, you know, a a public comment pretty much. And so I was like, no, there's never a reason to hurt someone in that way. Right. Um, And I was like, that's considered abuse. And I just said, you know, you have a mom and you have a sister. Like, how would you feel if someone found any excuse to physically hurt them, you know? 
what would come to mind? Would you justify it? Like if someone hurt mm-hmm. your mom, would you justify that, you know, she probably did not do something that she should have done? And his jaw just dropped to the ground. He was just like, did not know what to say. Everyone was super quiet. And then I told him, you know, I I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I think this is an important conversation to have because I hear this very often. You're not the first person I hear this from. And he didn't have much to say and everyone kind of stayed quiet. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, great. I just ruined dinner. Like I shouldn't have said something. But right after dinner, he came up to me and said, thank you for saying that because I would Mm -hmm. have never thought about that. And he's like, I adore my mom. I would never be okay with anyone ever hurting my mom, you know, especially my sister. And so he was like, I didn't think about it in that way. But when you think about the people that you love, you know, you don't think something like that would ever be okay. And I'm like, yeah, you know, exactly. And that's how we should think of any person, right? No one ever deserves to feel hurt. And so for me, it was just like, it just gave me that validation of it's so important to speak up because it can be a learning lesson for someone. And it's not that we want to give someone a lesson that, you know, that's not the purpose of us speaking up and being upstanders. The purpose is to know that we are not going to normalize behavior like that, right? Or minimize certain actions, especially when it has to do with violence, right? And it's our way of making a movement and making a change because you can really create change by speaking up. So um, with that being said, you know, just thank you. And I just wanted to give that little piece before we moved on to our next part. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I love that. And I appreciate you sharing that so much, you know, and I think about so many situations I have been in where, you know, something like that has happened. And it's so interesting because I've been in situations where, you know, immediately there is kind of that good rapport. That person really takes that in in that moment. I've had moments when, you know, again, I call someone into the conversation. I'm not calling you out. I just want to call you into a conversation about what I just heard and what you were just speaking about. I've had moments too where I've had people get really defensive um, and almost like just kind of like get out of here type, right? Like just kind of too upset and they got challenged. And the ironic thing was I've had that happen like twice. I'm remembering two, of course, no names, but I'm remembering two specific occasions that that happened, maybe sharing a boundary or a comment was made and kind of just bringing up maybe why that wasn't the most appropriate comment, right? Met with that adversity, but then later on, after I think that person had time to kind of sit with that, later on apologized and said, thank you for doing that. Thank you for, you know, just making it, uh, making it maybe easier for me or making it so I'm not like offending people. Cause yeah, I mean, my humor's like this, but that's not really what I want to do is offend people. Right. And so, yeah, I think, um, it, it, it could be challenging, but is it worth it? Yeah. Especially, you know, if like you're uncomfortable, like you in that situation, you know, everyone else having a great time at dinner. So should I, and it's like, well, yeah, you deserve to have a great time at dinner. You deserve to set a space where you feel safe there as well, right? And you know, most people are good people. And I think most people, Mm -hmm. we're in a culture that's really quick. Again, we're so quick to be judgy. We're so quick to just kind of say like, drop the mic comments and, you know, get a quick laugh and get those likes or whatever it is. And so I think when some people really just have the opportunity to kind of slow down and just hear what they actually said, sometimes it's like, oh, wow. I didn't even recognize that's what I was saying, but that's mm-hmm. absolutely what I was saying. Like, thank you. Right. And so I think that's a really good way to kind of think about those conversations as well. Right. Like we're not calling people out. It's not making you feel bad. It's not saying you're wrong or we judge you. It's just saying we're recognizing that this 
has made me uncomfortable. I can imagine there's plenty of other situations mm-hmm. that may make other people uncomfortable. And we would like to just have a moment to be real with you now, maybe save you from future discomfort, right? Or altercations or just really going too far when maybe you didn't intend to, right? And so I think that's a great way for everyone that's listening out there to really think about, you know, having those upstander conversations. It's not calling out, you're calling them in, right? And think about it and just frame it like that. I love that. Yeah. And I've shared that. I've shared that with a lot of high schoolers too, you know, because especially talking about those situations, right? If you are with a group of your friends and they're saying a joke, that's just like not cool, right? Like you, again, you know, they may meet you with that adversity. They may, you know, challenge you, but just stand strong in your morals and you're not coming from a place of tearing them down. You're again, just trying to call them in, right? That's what it's about. And so to kind of wrap up here, again, you know, we could have just kept going with rape culture. It is such a broad topic, right? It, again, all of these little pieces really make up this whole kind of working element, right? That is rape culture. And so we really, yeah, encourage you to kind of go off and do your own work. Uh, but one last little piece we're going to introduce today. This is actually an awareness day that we recognize throughout the month of April and sexual assault awareness definitely speaks directly to rape culture. So we just wanted to kind of chat about it. So it's called Denim Day. This actually just happened. Uh, we're recording this on April 30th, right at the end of the month. Denim Day was just this year. It was just on this past Wednesday, the 28th. Um, so this happens every year. If you missed it this year, don't worry. It's coming back around. It's annual. Uh, but Denim Day actually came out of a sexual assault case in Italy. So this was back early 90s. Uh, an 18-year-old girl was taking driving lessons. And her driving instructor, who was 45 at the time, uh, during a driving lesson, had her go to an isolated road, ended up taking her out of the car and forcefully assaulting her. So this was reported. I think immediately she reported this. This person was uh, prosecuted. They were put in jail. Years later, they did an appeal. And so what happened was uh, the argument was she was wearing such tight jeans that everything was consensual because she had to have helped take them off because they were so tight. This became known as the jeans alibi. Uh, So essentially this really enraged people because he was released, right? The conviction was overturned for a period of time. Once that happened, he was released. People in Supreme Court were just outraged by this. Um, And so individuals, especially women in Italian parliament started in protest wearing jeans to work to really kind of say that, you know, no matter what, um, this is not excusable. Her jeans or what she was wearing that day is in no way, you know, an invitation or implies consent. And so this really, um, and I will say, you know, they did end up going back to court. And I think that conviction again was overturned. So he was put back in jail. Um, But this really started just, again, kind of a larger conversation, right? Especially during that time with protesting, it was picked up by um, a organization in Sacramento uh, called Peace Over Violence, and they created the Awareness Day. So now every month of April, I think it's the last Wednesday. Um, I think it alternates. I believe it's the last Wednesday of April. Um, But yeah, every last Wednesday, they encourage others to wear denim, wear jeans in some way to protest pretty much all the myths about why women and girls are assaulted and debunking kind of that victim blaming element of it was what they were wearing. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, we encourage you to, if that's the first time you're hearing about denim day, there's a whole website set up for this. I'll link it below. So you can kind of head there, get more of the history, uh, more of the awareness, the campaigning that they do. But yeah, we encourage you to definitely check that out. If that's the first time you're hearing about this. 
Absolutely. I love this protest and the purpose of it. Um, and I think it's such a great way to get involved as well. So if you're wanting to get more involved and be part of the movement, this is a great way to do so. And so, you know, we are getting to our end of our episode together. But, you know, we wanted to just say that it's so important for sexual assault to not be normalized and minimized in our society, right? Um, and we believe that we can definitely change this and remove that rape culture. So let's not normalize it and let's expose it as what it is, which is violence, right? And an invasion of someone's boundaries. And I think it's so important for us to, you know, use our voices and speak up and be upstanders. So, you know, again, we want to make sure that we stand united and we need everyone's support because we know with this type of work, it takes a village. So we hope we can count on you. Um, with that yeah. being said, I feel like after such a, you know, heavy conversation, mm -hmm. we are definitely due for some self-care and some meditation. Yes. So let's go ahead and practice some self-care. Go ahead and get yourself in a comfortable position. Once you're in a comfortable position, if you are comfortable, go ahead and shut your eyes as you start to relax. Take a deep breath in. And now a deep breath out. Emptying your lungs entirely. And so let's do that again. Take a full deep breath in. Slowly. And take a deep breath out. Slowly. Go ahead and take another deep breath in. And breathe in strength. And go ahead and breathe out tension. Continue to relax and take a full deep breath in. Breathe out. Continue to take a deep breath in. Breathe in some kind words for yourself. Go ahead and exhale and breathe out any negative thoughts. Allow yourself to sink into comfort and relaxation. Create a visual for yourself in your mind. Maybe create a waterfall or sunlight or anything that brings joy. Continue to take a deep breath in and out. Take a deep breath in and breathe in a deep breath out. Breathe in slowly and peacefully. And go ahead and exhale slowly. Continue to take a deep breath in slowly. Go ahead and take a deep breath out. Let go of any tension that your body feels. Relax your jaw. 
relax your face, listen to your heartbeat and breathing. Make sure that when you're taking deep breaths in, you're doing it slowly and relaxed. If you have any random thoughts of your mind, simply try to let them go. Watch your thoughts come and go like clouds in the sky. Repeat this silently. I am relaxed and I am at peace. Continue to have deep breaths in slowly and breathe out. You are relaxed, calm, and centered. Pay attention to your heart rate and breathing. Continue to breathe steady. Go ahead and take a last deep breath in. And slowly exhale. Slowly come back. Roll your shoulders. Move your fingers. Open your eyes. And feel free to join us again. I was like a second away from a nap on that one. <laughs> I really was. I hope you all had a moment of relaxation and peace and, you know, just a reminder that it's so important that you take care of yourself, not just after a heavy conversation, but just daily to make sure that you're practicing some of that self-care and that self-love. Absolutely. And JC, thank you so much for that. Your voice is like so calming. That was so nice. I'm sure all the listeners that participated in that as well, maybe had a moment of almost falling asleep like I did. So thank you. you. Especially, yeah, especially after that big conversation, right? Again, we know this almost, it might've seemed like we were just kind of like tossing out a whole puzzle onto the table, right? And there's all these pieces turned upside down and wrong and right ways. And, you know, but Honestly, um, even though it did seem like a lot of pieces, these all really fit together, right? And so it's really important. That's why this does seem like such a big conversation because there's so many things that really do make our culture into a rape culture. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, it's really up to us. It's up to us and how we normalize. It's up to us and how we respond, how we speak to victims and survivors, how we protect potential perpetrators and abusers. And so, yeah, it really comes back to us. And so that's why we're going to say a big thank you to all of our listeners out there Mm -hmm. that were a part of this conversation today, taking in some of this knowledge, challenging some of those norms. And so we really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. And we hope to see you during our next conversation.